Hi, I'm Darren Peppard. Welcome to the Leaning into Leadership podcast, the podcast dedicated to today's hardworking leader. Join me every Sunday for leadership insight, inspiration, and a little pep talk to keep you rolling down your road to awesome. Why is it some schools outperform others? You look at demographics, you look at economic factors, you look at the recruitment of educational talent. But sometimes when we look into the data, there are schools that compared to other schools with very similar demographics, similar challenges, even similar geographic locations, just simply perform better. Well, CEE, the Center for Educational Effectiveness, set out to identify why these positive outliers in the data exist. Today on the podcast, Eric Bowles and Eric Price join to discuss the characteristics of these positive outlier schools. They also talk about culture, leadership, and their podcast, Outliers in Education. I can't wait to share this conversation with you, and we'll get to it right after this. Leaders, your educators deserve to have a leader who believes in them, who supports them, and who lifts them up when they're down. Right now, they deserve that reminder that they are traveling their own road to awesome. On that road to awesome, we focus on the things we can control and we let go of the things we can't. On that road to awesome, we rise by lifting others, not by pushing each other down. And on that road to awesome, we change the world one conversation at a time. Leaders, I want to work with your schools. I want to work with you and your educators to lift them up, to honor the work they do, and to let them know they are not in this alone. Let's get together. Let's have a conversation. Let's get your teachers back on that road to awesome, to find that love, to find that clarity, and to walk in their purpose. Reach out to us at roadtoawesome.net for your opportunity to bring Road to Awesome to your school. For the first time in the history of the Leaning into Leadership podcast, which, which folks, I know, it's not a long history, but nonetheless, for the first time in the history of the Leaning into Leadership podcast, I have two guests, not one, but two guests, and they happen to have the same first name. Two guys named Eric who spell it differently. I appreciate this because as a guy named Darren who gets all kinds of different spellings other than the right one, this is awesome. Eric Bowles, Eric Price, welcome to the Leaning Into Leadership podcast. Fellas, how you guys doing today? Hey, we're doing great. And I guess if we're the uh, first uh, time you've had two guests in history, then we've got to go Wayne's World on you and say, we're not worthy. Um, so, <laughs> I'll introduce myself real quickly. My name is Eric Bowles. Uh, go by Bowles for the purpose of this podcast and our Outliers in Education podcast. I work for an organization called the Center for Educational Effectiveness. It's located in Bellevue, Washington. It's the uh, swanky east side of Seattle, Washington, for uh, those of you who may not be familiar with the geography. And I have the best job in the world because as a 25-year public educator, I get to help educators now just in the context of school improvement through the resources that we have at the Center for Educational Effectiveness. I'll refer to it as CEE in the podcast. The other reason I have the best job in the world is I work out of my home in southeastern Washington State, about 210 miles from the mothership in 
Richland, Washington. With that, I'll turn it back to you, Darren, or straight to EP, depending on how you all want to do this. Go yeah, ahead, EP. I, I, yeah, and I, I want to just be really clear. Just because we've got two people on, I just want to let the audience know, and it doesn't mean we're going to be twice as good. So expectations should be low, folks. So, <laughs> uh, My name is Eric Price. Uh, we refer to me as EP. Uh, I also think that I've got the best job in the world after 25-plus years in public ed. Bowles and I have a, a similar track record there. Um, so I do some coaching with both principals and superintendents. I teach at uh, Washington State University. I teach... Uh, pre-service teachers, a uh, number of different things, but love, love what I do. And I don't think that I've had such a great perspective of education as I've had now. So that's where I am and love where we are. So That's excellent. And and go Cougars, of course. So go Cougars. Uh, always got always yeah. got to throw in you got got to throw in the mascots any and every time. <laughs> you know, um, you know, every time every time I speak, um, I'll, I'll say something about you know that I grew up in the great state of Wyoming, and then I'll say you know, hey, go Pokes, because nobody else in the room will ever say it. And every now and again, I get surprised, you know. So so I got to throw that in there, you know, go Cougs. There you go. So. Um, so, so guys, let's, let's, let's just dive in a little bit. Um, it, first off, it's, it's like 80 years worth of educational experience between the three of us. Uh, I don't know if, if that should make us feel good about ourselves or if that should make <laughs> us cringe, but, uh, but either way, a lot of experience, a lot of different roles between, between the three of us. Uh, and, and I think that's going to make this really interesting. So, um, I, I want to start, I guess, with, um, just what what brings the two of you guys together? Uh, tell me just a little bit of that story. How how do how do EP and Bowles connect and not only create a podcast, but but I know there was a lot before that. So, you guys, run with that. I'm curious. You want to take a stab, EP, or do you want me to take a stab? No, you've got the intelligence, my man. I'll follow. I, I don't know about that. This is probably falls under the category of mis misremembering, but I'll do the best I can here. Uh, so EP and I go back to really pretty close to last century. Uh, we're both classroom teachers, both uh, middle school level uh, English language arts teachers. I had the good fortune to uh, go to where EP was working at the time and do some uh, in-service in the town of Walla Walla, Washington. The town's so lovely they named it twice if uh, you haven't been there. and. Uh, I think we just became fast friends as a result. Both started in school administration not too long after that experience. Uh, 20 years later, found ourselves uh, on the other side of uh, school admin. And as, as uh, we were scaling up, the, the work that we did with the outlier study at CE was funded by Bill and Melinda Gates. It's a nice funder to have in your back pocket, by the way. Um, <laughs> and we had a couple of things that we had to do in terms of disseminating uh, disseminating the research that we were doing uh, for the greater good. And they gave us really broad latitude around what would that look like. So we had no idea uh, and kind of threw a couple things at a dartboard that stuck. Uh, one is the mastermind concept. Uh, Want to give a shout out to Danny Bauer. Thank you so much for that connection, Darren. His book is oh, binding. Yeah. We run masterminds continuously at CEE as a result of uh, that Gates work. And then the other thing we thought was, well, heck, you know, we'll try a podcast. Uh, and I reached out to my friend EP, who's always up for a little contract work, and he helped us with the masterminds. We recorded podcast one, and we're now uh, about 20 strong and have been going ever since. So, yeah, you're right. Just kind of like every uh, overnight friendship or success story, it's 20 plus years in the making. 
Yeah, and I think uh, actually our first uh, our first introduction was through a mutual friend, and we were both going to be doing uh, a writing in service at uh, high school. And Bowles came down with uh, some kind of sickness, some cheesy excuse. I don't know, he's throwing up or something. And uh, <laughs> and then uh, yeah, so but then we just kind of we were in the same circles and spheres, and yeah, exactly, kind of have come back around to. Um, helping from the other side of public ed. So it's it's been a blast. So let, let, let's talk about that a little bit because all three of us have gone through that process where, you know, being in public ed for quite some time and then now moving into the private sector. But I, I don't know about you guys. I still consider myself a public educator. Um, I know I'm not working in a school every day and um, I'm not, you know, bound in the same office or, or whatever. But you know, for me, it didn't stop at year 26. To me, this is year 28 in public education. Um, so maybe talk a little bit, and, and EP, I'll come to you first on this one, about kind of that transition. Um, I, I know I have some listeners who are kind of in that space of kind of moving to a place in their career where either, you know, they're ready to retire and do what's next, or maybe they just are thinking about what might be next as a side hustle or, or whatever? What what was what was that transition like for you? How did how did that come about? Uh, well, I, I don't know if I would recommend this for all of our listeners, but uh, my wife and I decided I was actually at a elementary school and a principal at an elementary school, and uh, our, we had two daughters at home, and uh, we said, hey, what if we just take a, a year, quit both of our jobs, take a year, and tour around the the states. So we both, she's a nurse, she, we both quit our jobs and then we turned around the United States for a year. Luckily, it was the year that COVID came in. So we were in Florida when they were closing down all those beaches. And so, uh, so I came back. Terrible place to be stuck, right? It it was awful. It was really awful. (laughs) Daytona Beach is terrible. So, uh, so when we came back, um, I really started uh, getting into more, I'd been teaching for Wazoo. So I did some more of that. And then uh, Bulls, my friend, just said, hey, I've got some other pieces if you want to start getting into it. So I think some of our leadership pieces uh, were just nice uh, transition pieces for us to kind of move into this other side of it. And I totally agree with you, Darren. Like when I teach pre-service teachers, I don't think I am m- moving it all away from public ed. I think, I think in the position that I am now, I serve public ed better than I ever have before. Well, and, and I would I echo like that. that. I, I think the only thing I would add uh, to that story is mine was a whole lot more accidental than than EPs. Um, I, I had been an assistant superintendent for uh, the last 10 years I was in public ed. And, and like the two of you, very much a committed public educator. Just, you know, my, my paycheck now is derived from a different source. Um, and was really tired of kind of some of the things that came with the assistant superintendency. No slight on either one of my last two employers. I just... You know, eventually, I think you get your fill of collective bargaining, uh, investigations, parent complaints. Um, I went yeah. into education and, and built a reputation around uh, curriculum instruction assessment, particularly taking data to action. Uh, and so I had actually given my superintendent about an 18 month notice and said, no, I'm, I'm willing to go back into the classroom. I'm not exactly sure what my next chapter is going to be, but I just can't I just can't do this work any longer. It's 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 mortgaging my health. Uh, and, and I've got to go a different direction. So at, in my last four years, we worked with CEE. CEE was a client of the last district I worked in. And uh, we had seven schools before COVID hit named as high progress schools in the state of Washington by the 
Washington State Board of Education, which is a big number for 24. I think we had more schools in our district than we had in the in the region overall. And when I, um, school improvement was one of the many things that was kind of under my purview. And one of the things that I recognized in the process was the schools that were taking the perceptual data from CEE, really unpacking that data to identify probably what the key problem of practice inside of their building was, and then utilizing a short cycle improvement framework from a little Jesuit basketball school, many of you may have heard of uh, from Gonzaga University in Spokane, uh, the, the architects are Chuck Salina and Suzanne Gertz, uh, professors, Chuck's a professor emeritus, Suzanne is uh, still a professor in full practice at Gonzaga. And so I said, man, we've really hit on something. These, these two things working together are really transforming schools. So I called up CE and, and just told them the story and said, our schools that are really using your data to to, to make that an actionable problem of practice and then using the discipline of 45 day improvement cycles that that Chuck and Suzanne uh, talk about in their in their two wonderful books. Um, also one of our podcasts and outliers in education for those of you who get a chance to listen. Um, bottom line, I think after 25 years, I know what I'm doing. And they said, do you want a job? I, I'll tell you the rest of the story later. The, the short answer was heck yes. I'd love to be taking data to action with clients who are really ready to take their schools and their systems to the next level, because that's the work I believe I was born to do. And gosh, my data job was getting in the way. I just think that's awesome, uh, especially I mean, all of that from both of you was really fantastic, because to me, you know, now now being in this space as well, what I'm learning is how how those of us who are in in the consulting and speaking space connected to public education, the how we got there is just as dissimilar as the how we got to public education in the first place. You know, uh, just like almost no teacher set out to be a teacher. Yes, there are a handful who, from the time they were six years old, I want to be yeah. a teacher, and no slighting on them at all. Those who do that and have been dedicated their entire life to it, God bless you. But most, <laughs> most come to it in a different way. And I think exactly the same thing is true. Um, I, I was having a conversation with a, a mutual friend of ours, and actually his episode, by the time people are listening to this, uh, it's episode 38, Doug Kaplicki. Uh, Doug and I had a conversation about the, the very same thing and how his transition, both out and then back in um, have have transpired um, j just fantastic how everybody's journey is just just a little bit different but Bolsey, I want I want to come back to specifically the talk around school improvement around um, the data stuff every time I have a conversation with you I come away in, in two ways I, I come away smarter because of how all of the different elements of data and research that CEE does. But I also come away like a little dumbfounded feeling like, man, I know data less than I thought I did every time I talk to you. So um, let's, let's, let's dig in a little bit on not necessarily data yet, but on school improvement. You, you talked about how, how, these, how these collective groups of schools who had identified specific problems of practice and really dove in we're able to make a difference. Now, before we go deep, I, I just want to, and maybe both of you guys here too, um, we're, we're post-pandemic, we think, and now a lot of schools are starting to turn their focus back to school improvement, 
whether that's a traditional look at it or maybe it's a little bit something different. I know what I'm hearing when I'm out on the road. What what are some of the things that you guys are hearing? Where are where are schools pouring their efforts in right now in terms of school improvement? Wow, I'm I'm out there right now really working through kind of the client engagement uh, work, which happens typically in September. And we're getting a huge we're getting a huge response this year compared to the last two or three years around hey, we, we really want to get wrapped into your surveys and your survey process again. So I think it's absolutely, I think you're absolutely right. It's absolutely on the forefront of folks' minds. And the huge concern I have is, and and I, I know for those of you who are listening, my voice sounds incredibly youthful, but I was actually a principal last century starting in that role in 1999, <laughs> um, which was a great year if you're a Prince fan, if for no other reason. Um, oh, yeah, there you go. Yeah. <laughs> one of the one of the things that I think we, those of us who came through kind of late '90s, early 2000s, and we stayed in through uh, ESSA were you know were the were the babies of No Child Left Behind, and then we went into ESSA. And what school improvements look like across the country is, you know, we generally take our high stakes data, we look at uh, you know fourth grade data, which is really last year's third graders. We compare it to this year's fourth graders, so we're already at an apple and an orange. We kind of pat ourselves on the back if we get a 3% bump and we hang our heads in shame if we get a 3% decrease over time, even though we're comparing two completely different cohorts, which many of us should have an issue with that. We don't. So then what we do oh, yeah. is the principal's responsible for having a school improvement plan kicked to somebody in the central office in at least 46 of our 50 states. And then they're on file or the state takes a look if you're in you know, the wrong stage of improvement. So where we focus our work is unfortunately, I think in the, those high stakes test results, we write a SMART goal, looks a lot like last year's SMART goal. Uh, the, the principal, rather than taking the process through an organic process with staff, oftentimes just because they're short on time, like writes the school improvement plan at the stroke of midnight to right. get it in right. under the wire. And, <laughs> right. And we, we rinse and repeat. We've done this for 20 years and we wonder why why on earth are we not getting different results? I mean, it's the quote misattributed to Einstein, right? I mean, it's the definition right. of insanity. We keep practicing the same way. We get the same results for 20 years and year 21 looks the same. So my fear is we're going to see schools go right back into that approach and systems go right back into that approach. And what we unequivocally know, both through our research at CE and through uh, Chuck and Suzanne's work, and then actually really bringing that to life and practice is there is a better way. We will return to the Leaning Into Leadership podcast in just a moment. But first, let me ask you a question. Have you ever said to yourself, man, I should write a book? Well, if you have, then let me ask you another question. What's holding you back? What keeps you from taking the step that moves you from, I have an idea about a book, to I am a published author? From experience, I would bet it's probably you're wondering who would even want to read a book that I wrote. Maybe you're questioning the idea. Is it unique enough? Is it valid enough? Is it good enough to be a book worthy of having published? Hey, as a best-selling author myself, I can tell you most writers have had the exact same feelings at some point in time during their writing journey. Here at Road to Awesome, we believe in cultivating leaders by elevating voices and promoting positivity. And a part of that work is publishing books for educators by educators. Go to roadtoawesome.net and hit the Contact Us button to set up a free, no-obligation conversation about your book idea. Hey, educators, we've all had incredible experiences. We all have amazing stories. 
and every one of them deserves to be told. Go to roadtoawesome.net, hit the contact us button. Let's have that conversation about your book idea. And now back to the Leaning into Leadership podcast. Yeah, and I think to add on to that, I, I think what we really continue to see is this culture piece, right? This this mm-hmm. culture piece about schools. And we, I don't know what it is about us, but our heads just keep snapping back to this lever of academic achievement. And there's plenty of research out there that says if that's what you're focusing on, you're going to get a decrease. And yet we see when you start to look at some of those culture pieces within a school, those are where you're really going to get the sustainable growth. And so uh, as a story, uh, there's a there's a, a person that I have uh, worked with in a consulting capacity um, that really was having a difficult time in that culture realm. And it was also beginning to show up in some academic pieces. And after looking at, we, we used the EES survey, um, which is the Educational Effectiveness Survey. And, 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 and I said, you know, we really got to be looking at this, you know, how is the trust in your building? How is that cultural health? And um, I, I think that as we began to look at those pieces, you don't know if your culture is getting better or worse unless you have some kind of a metric, right? So when we really started to look at that engaged staff, you know, Bulls talked about staff being kind of disassociated with that improvement process. Well, when we brought them back in and said, no, here's the things we need to focus on, there was a complete turnaround um, and his superintendent was just like, oh my goodness, yeah, amazing. So I think that when we begin to look at trust and culture and and again you're gonna hear this all over the place but we just don't Mm -hmm. do it and we don't know how to do it and then if we don't measure we don't know where we are um so i think that with some of those pieces uh it's really helpful for us to start to take some of those chunks to go okay now that we can trust each other and we can communicate we can really talk about these kids in a way that hopefully uh will have some movement of my behavior as an instructor and students behavior as learners I love that because, you know, this is this is a drum I've been banging on for years. And, and I know I've talked with both of you guys about this a couple of times that, you know, un- until we're willing to really pour our efforts into culture, all those other things that we do just to me are not going to reach their maximum potential. Yep. You know, yeah. when 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 we end up with it, it, I love I love what you just said there, um, you know, EP about just like snapping our heads back to, you know, that that assessment data, um, you know, uh, Bulls, you described it perfectly. I mean, to me, every year that that statewide assessment to me was just it was an autopsy, you know, and, and you're right. We're mm-hmm. we're comparing it to, you know, a group of kids who are now in a completely different grade and they're going to be compared to the kids ahead of them every single year. And, you know, as athletic coaches, I get it. I mean, we can do that and say, you know, man, I got a strong senior class and, you know, this year my, my juniors are a little bit weak, but, but then we don't do the same kind of thing in, in academics. We don't just track that group all the way through. Mm-hmm. There are some States now that are starting to do some of that work. Um, I, I can tell you my home state of Wyoming is starting to do much more of the actual cohort tracking and how they, how they do their state assessments. But, um, I'm squirreling way, way off of topic. My point is, <laughs> my point is that exactly what EP just said. If we're not willing to put our time and our effort into the culture and and being aware of organizational trust and um, you know honoring the you know all of the um, just 
the years of service that people have been a part of our our work, trusting them as professionals and and uh, you know celebrating our students and celebrating our adults and that kind of thing. We we just never we never reap the benefits of all those other types of uh, types of initiatives. Not that they aren't good. I mean, there's some incredible stuff out there. You just got to make sure your culture's ready ready to support that kind of stuff. So let's 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 maybe go just a little bit further now, and whether we stay with culture or or look at some of the other uh, other levers that that CEE measures as as a part of as a part of their research. Um, how do you take whatever that data is? Uh, to me, this was always kind of a struggle. You know, in in education, we we become so data heavy, and we're totally disconnected from strategies of how you use that. So uh, what are some things what are some things that when both of you work with with schools and work with principals and work with teacher teams how do you make the data something that's not number 1 intimidating and number 2 just daunting how do how do I even do something with this what what are some what are some steps EP, you want to take this off the top or you want me to? Well, I think this goes right into some outlier study stuff. So go ahead and chunk away and I'll follow. Sure. And and uh, so at CEE, uh, much like with Chuck and Suzanne, and it's actually research derived from the uh, Office, of, uh, Office of Public Instruction in the state of Washington from the early 2000s, we really believe that you ought to be looking at four data sets, three of them that you can take action on. And then the fourth one is your is your lagging indicator, that's student achievement. So we believe first you've got to look at the demographic data. You have to know who you serve. You have to then do something in the perceptual arena because we want to know, we want to know, given the people we're serving, what are they thinking? I'm going to come back to that one because I think that's the best way to answer your question directly, Darren. The third piece of data that we look at, we call contextual data. Um, and really that's, you know, the, the, the big buzzword or acronym right now around contextual data is MTSS. It's really those signature practices inside of your building, those systemic tweaks that you've made that you you believe, you know, theory of action, problem of practice type scenario, you believe are going to make the difference. All of these things working together in concert uh, should translate to improve student achievement. So let's go back to the perceptual for just a minute. Um, we look at perceptual data at CEE. We look across 18 different domains. And I think the first thing that, that we do is my goodness, 18 domains. I mean, if you're looking at 18 domains of data, you're not looking at one domain whatsoever. Um, it's just way right. too much. So the first thing I do with my clients is to identify one or two or three snippets inside of those domains that, that really pique their interest. Tom, surprised that people answered this way, you know, positively or negatively. Um, and then really like to get that data out there in front of the staff and, and, and wait for it. It's a super complex process. Um, I call it the why what protocol. So <laughs> identify a data set, a very discrete, manageable, digestible data set. And then we ask people at your table, come up with a hypothesis around why do you think people answered the way that they did? Once you have one or two or three consensus items around those whys, then we really put the improvement onus right on the staff and say, all right, each of you are basically kings and queens of improving this outcome. What would you do about it? And the strategies, the simple strategies that come from the staff in terms of, you know, what they believe will be the big levers that will make differences in their in their schools are powerful. They're profound. And and the bottom line is when you authentically engage uh, staff in solving their own problems and confronting their own problems, you can't lose when as a third party consultant or as an administrator, you tell staff 
how they should be solving the problems that you perceive are the biggest problems. First, they may not perceive those as the biggest problems in the schoolhouse. Mm -hmm. And second, there's no agency or buy-in unless it's an organic solution. So I think what we do best is take the data, we look at the data, we make it small and manageable, we work by consensus to get in front of folks, we ask folks to answer why first, and then what do you want to do about it next? Then where we follow up and where I think there's this great blend with executive coaching, because I know you're both all about that, uh, is we want that 45-day improvement cycle, which then becomes a perfect segue for a coach to be working as an accountability partner. How's it going, Darren? How did, how did it go those first two weeks? Where are you stuck? Did you get through it in an incredibly efficient way? And then what would you want to work at next? What other themes in your conversation with staff are, are you surfacing and how can we how can we take those themes and really run it through the same why what uh, piece? So it just becomes this continuous improvement. And I think one of the things that I've really I apologize, I'm taking way too many words here. But I, but one of the things that I think we've really learned over time and Chuck and Suzanne would say this as well is, you know, we've had this belief for a long time in school systems purported by some researchers, to be perfectly honest, that that school improvements a three to five year slog before you start to see outcomes. What we believe and what we know works and what we know works through Chuck and Suzanne's work is this, you can start to improve your school, especially if you start on the cultural side, inside of 45 days. That improvement can be instantaneous and we don't have to wait. And I think that's a real emerging uh, piece of practice that uh, every executive coach can, can jump onto and benefit from. Yeah. So, EP, I know you want to jump in on this, too. I, I want to ask just a real quick follow-up with that, because, and, and maybe it's just a statement that you can react to. But when, when we think about exactly what you just said, you know, you have three to five years for, for any kind of an improvement to take place. If we connect that to, I guess, this, this common practice of writing a SMART goal, is that a lot of that driven because we'll write data based on our state assessments as opposed to things that we can see in these small short cycles i love how you're talking about 45 day cycles man i, I met with a principal today we set a goal today around roughly um, a 30-day cycle it's not a huge goal but it's going to make a huge difference so so that you know where i'm going uh Bolsey, go ahead so yeah I, I i see nothing wrong with smart goals in and of themselves but if we know, for example, and, and it helps to hook a metric to it. One of the things that I think we do at CEE is, um, and, I, and, and the analogy for me is like the winery analogy, right? So if we all owned a winery, we're better off co-located with each other as opposed to you know being out there on our own because this collaboration uh, breeds synergy. It's not the isolation. So we can help you measure. You can turn things into smart goals. You can look at things, for example, like the trust gap, uh, what I believe about myself versus what I believe about my peers. You can take numbers, but the bottom line is you've got to go out as the leader and ask the questions. Why, why do you believe, EP, that there's not trust uh, with the staff? Why, are you, why do you have a lot of belief in your own efficacy as an educator, but that efficacy in, around your, your peers were questioning? What then would you suggest we do to, to make that alignment tighter? Um, and I love what you said, Darren, because, yeah, 30-day cycle, 45-day cycle, um, it's, it can be a small goal. We're going we're to shrink the I versus they gap. We're going we're gonna to find a way to feel better about our peers. It's a really simple fix most of the time, and I could expound on that for days. But, uh, yeah, I'm completely picking yeah. up what you're putting down, and I think the smart goal is 
we sometimes from the compliance end, the policy end of education just beat certain things to death. And I think the smart goal is one of those examples. Yeah, yeah and I think they're e those are easy things to hang on to, right? Those are easy handles to grab, which like, think about a superintendent and what, what does a superintendent focus on, right? Well, if, if a superintendent understands some academics and what's happening in the classroom, some teaching and learning pieces, that's a, maybe a big if. Um, now the next question becomes, well, what are they going to do about it and what should they be looking at? And they're going to go exactly, Darren, to what you said before. They're going to snap right to that academic achievement. Like that's a really public facing uh, graphic and numbers that other people can understand, right? That, that becomes uh, very uh, easy to look at in a political realm. If I go to the practical side of it, though, let me just ask a question. How, how much training did you both or did the three of us have in how to improve a culture as a principal or as a superintendent? Yeah, very little. <laughs> yeah, and so now, <laughs> now when we take a look at this core thing that we know will improve schools, I'll just go to the practical side of it. Now we go, okay, well, I know that maybe my school culture sucks. I don't know what to do now. And so now we get a, kind of that recursive look of, so now that's where that coaching uh, comes in to say, hey, let's take it. You've got some data pieces now about culture. Uh, or you know perceptively that you know it ain't good so now what can we do about it and i think a lot of our leaders are very intelligent know a lot but they don't know what to do and i think just coming alongside them with those questions and saying hey where do you want to go really it's strategic planning that we would do which we do do with districts you're doing it with that principal and their staff in a, in a cultural uh, context so i think really it just keeps coming back to i mean lencioni right trust relationships if you don't know how to get those healthy, then you're not going to get the academic achievements that you're going to need in that building and or district. So then the, the question to the principal or the soup is, well, how do I do that? And that's where I think that coaching comes in to say, well, let's go through some processes. Right. Really, again, a trust strategic plan with that uh, building or district. You know, there's there's just so much to unpack right there, and I'm, I'm going to throw it right back to you, um, EP, with with this question uh, th that just came to me as you were talking. So many of our leaders, you're right. So many of our leaders are just not clear on how do I build the culture in my building. You know, again, master's program, heck, I, my doctorate program. No, I didn't learn anything about how to build culture. I learned that on the fly. I learned it from other people. But you know what? We all were given support in some way, shape, or form around how to manage our classrooms, around how to build relationships. You said relationships. It's, it's to me, it's the key word. Yep. Why is it, I have my own theories, I want to hear yours. Why is it that maybe school leaders can be so good in the classroom and understand that relationship building piece and then step into administrative roles and I don't know, lose that connection or forget or not even think of their staff as their classroom. What, what do you see there? What, do you, what are your thoughts on that? So why does that flip for that leader coming out? Yeah. Of a, maybe culturally? Yeah. yeah, I don't know. I think, I think like you used an uh, athletic example before, and I know all of us have you know, coached in here. So we know that as coaches or as teammates, there's a culture in that team and we've experienced that. Uh, but, but there have been examples of a good culture that we've gone through. And I think the same thing in that classroom. 
when we get to the principalship, where, where did we see the examples of a really good culture and or how to develop and even worse, how do you flip it around, right? That's just not something that I think is emulated very often. So I, I'm, I don't know if I'm hitting where you're, where you're thinking, Darren, but, but no, I, I, just think, I think you just kind of get stage fright. Because like, I remember my first principalship, I, okay, so I may not be the sharpest tool in the shed, and I'm out playing tennis with this dude, and he says, dude, what are you going to do uh, as a principal? And I'm like, principal things. Like, I don't know what that is, you know? I mean, none of us <laughs> really know what that crap is, right? So, so I think that we get to this place where we feel like we're on marbles. We do know that culture is important. We just don't know what in the heck we should be doing about that stuff. Right. Bulls, you may think differently. I don't think a whole lot differently. I would add three things. I think, one, uh, being the curator of the culture is not in any job description anywhere for a principal. So right. I read the job description, I go interview, very unlikely that there's a, a adult relationship or culture question asked in the interview. Um, I, I have no idea that that's necessarily a part of my job. Again, I think we're victims of uh, well-intended but misguided federal policy. So principals believe job one is to uh, increase academic achievement. It is job one, but you've got to do a whole lot of other jobs before uh, you start to see the fruits of that labor. Because like we've said, academic achievement is really the ultimate lagging indicator inside of the schoolhouse. So I think some misgivings around um, leading and lagging indicators. And then third, one of my favorite examples, again, kind of going back to that athletic analogy is what we do intuitively as classroom teachers that oftentimes attract attention to being promoted into uh, maybe the administrative ranks where a mentor might say, "Boy, you really ought to go ahead and pick up that admin credential while you're going back for your master's." I think you'd be, I think you'd be a good fit in that role. Uh, I, I think we do some things in the classroom that are unconscious or we don't necessarily directly translate uh, to our work with adults. We know it's our job as teachers to build community with kids. We don't necessarily know that that's our job as adults, nor do we know how to do it. And the analogy I would use is. Uh, for those of you who follow a basketball player by the name of Urban Magic Johnson, his coaching career lasted 16 games. <laughs> he could not break down and teach anybody the things that he knew. And when you watched him on the court, he had gifts that he had honed that, you know, he practiced with automaticity that he could not, he could not translate. So I think some of our most gifted teachers um, don't recognize, and because teachers practice in isolation, and I may have really figured it out on my own, um, it's not intuitive to our teachers who move into the administrative ranks that your job is to create that same incredibly inclusive community that, uh, with the adults in your system, both your both your family community and your and your staff community that you created as that uh, as that probably highly skillful teacher. So those yeah, are, I think I think you move into a management like you we are, we are thinking about managing people, right? And even those questions you talk about in the interview, it's like, well, what would you do with the staff conflict? Like, it's how do you manage conflict? It's not like how right. do you build trust? So. I think that's spot on right there. You know, and I mean, I became principal in a school where I had already been the assistant principal. In fact, two different roles. And I mean, I was leading the, the development and the, the, the creation of our positive culture. And I move into that principalship. And EP, what you just said is absolutely spot on. Uh, I mean, so much so that I like went a whole different direction with my dissertation and focused on that uh, you know, organizational management versus instructional leadership and, and the perceptions of, of early career leaders because that organizational management stuff, phew, right over my head. I mean, you, we all have our areas we struggle in. And for me, year one as a principal, it was all the organizational management. 
I mean, you know, from time management to, you know, supervision of classified staff to, um, I mean, just all of the budget. I hadn't had any hand in the budget, you know, and all of a sudden here I'm handed my budget, you know, and uh, how do I do this? And I mean, I was blessed with a brilliant secretary and, you know, all of those kinds of things. But yeah, for me, the organizational management stuff just, it sucked the life out of me. And as a result, I think this happens to, to almost all of us. As a result, culture couldn't be a priority, or I didn't allow it to be a priority. You know, I just because you were stuck in that structure. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And I'm not a systems guy. Well, I am now, but I wasn't at the time. And you know, having to learn how to to manage systems, and that circles all back to the executive leadership coaching, which that's where I got my first taste of executive leadership coaching by having a coach. And of course now, like UEP, that's, that's what I do. And then I just love doing that stuff. So, so let, let's do this. But before we go to, uh, to our final question, I'm going to ask you guys, talk a little bit about the podcast, um, you know, share a little bit about what it is, but more importantly, um, I've, I've been on your podcast. I listen to your podcast. There's just like this particular interview, there's so much fun back and forth with the two of you, what, what, what are some of the joys and things you're learning through doing your Outliers podcast? You want me to, you want me to take a crack, EP? All right. So, so like we said, we had these two charges. You have to find a way to disseminate these incredible research results. And by the way, the Outlier study can be found on our website. It's pretty prominent. Uh, worth taking a look at if you haven't seen it at effectiveness.org. Uh, simple yeah. website. And I'll have it linked in the show notes. Yeah, it'll be there for everybody. Fantastic. So so we initially started with some of the practitioners inside of the outlier study with some of the principals and superintendents. Uh, and then just sort of, I wish I could say that this was part of a meticulous plan, but uh, you've already picked up the theme of our meandering <laughs> lives and, and uh, your, your great questions. Um, we realized- and Curly. You know, all, all these people that have regional prominence, national prominence, the things that they're working on, uh, you know, the curation and improvement of culture, the organizational development, the executive coaching stuff that that you're doing, Darren. We, I mean, when you were on the show, I mean, there's so many overt ties to the to the uh, outlier study. It's not even funny. So kind of a, a light switch flipped on for both EP and myself and then, you know, other folks at CEE, which was let's go out and look at folks that are really doing outlier work in uh, the educational uh, sector, either in consultation or directly in practice, we're making a huge impact. Uh, and let's, let's get those folks on the show because we can tie what whatever your central tenet is, we can tie it to the 11 common conditions inside of the outlier study. So our show has really kind of migrated that direction of as opposed to illuminating the just the practitioners in the study, we're now really trying to illuminate the practices with folks out there having a huge impact like you, Darren. And uh, like I say, doing it with somebody who's been a friend for 20 years. Our producer's been a friend of mine since we were 16 years old and you got to meet him. He's absolutely uh, yeah. brilliant as well. I mean, gosh, I, I, don't, I don't know what you can label this, but you can't really call it work. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I think it, it's, it really is a lot of fun, um, but I think that like my mindset going into it is, okay, if I'm a principal, what or a soup, how, what would be helpful? Like what, what do we have to share here that would be helpful? And I think like uh, I, I did some work with uh, Janelle Keating and Bob Aker uh, many years ago, and I remember we were, I was doing something at the district level, and uh, I was asking Bob a question about it. Say, hey, Bob, you know, what do you think? And he's like, 
Eric, I think you've, you might have used a lot of your calories doing this when you, you should have probably been doing this. And it was like this, again, this like epiphany for me to go, oh yeah. And so I think it's helpful, like Darren, what you're just talking about is all this stuff is on our plate. It's hard for us to get out of those weeds, right? So I think that that part of the podcast is to say, hey, here's something to think about that can actually get you out of that weeds to get to the place where you can start to, you know, chip away at some of those cultural um, spots. So I think that like the more that we can just take the research that we know that's really rich, but just to say, okay, here's what in the stuff you need to do with it. Here's, here's some practical things that you can do with it. Somebody can listen to it in 30, 40 minutes and go, oh, I like, oh, that helps me, right? So they're not learning so much as remembering and then to go, yeah, okay, remind me about that. So I think that those pieces for us is, and it's, it's fun because we've had so many, I'll speak for myself, so many mistakes in our lives, you know, in our careers that it allows us to go, yeah, this yeah. would have been a really helpful thing. If I would have had a friend like you, Darren, come in and said, Price, you idiot, why in the suck are you doing this? Like, that would have been really helpful. I will yeah, just add sure. one of the things. One of the things that we've heard from a couple of principals lately that has been a completely surprising unintended consequence is we have principal friends who are reaching out to us and they're using either snippets or entire podcast episodes as their PD with their yeah. teachers, with their departments, with their leadership teams. And uh, so the fact that it's getting that kind of traction and people are seeing its value and transmitting it to their staff is, I mean, it couldn't possibly be more rewarding for two guys who had literally no idea what the heck we were doing. <laughs> and unlike yeah, you, well, Jared, we, actually, we put smart people on and then we just <laughs> ask them questions. It's unlike this interview right here. <laughs> Come on now. You guys, you guys cracked me up. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, you know, you just like totally threw me off track there. Um, and I'm not going to edit that out. I'm going to keep that. Um, I, I will say this, you know, um, it, it makes me think, it makes me think to uh, somebody who I've introduced you guys to, and, and I hope eventually you're, you're able to have him on your show, uh, Josh Tovar, who's a, a principal in Texas um, at Memorial Pathway Academy. Um, Josh refers to, you know, everything to do with podcasts and blogs as PD for free. And I love that, you know, that, that Bolsey that you mentioned that you, you are hearing from people who are saying, oh yeah, I share this with this, or I use a little bit of this with PD. Um, you know, I've had a handful of those too, where people are like, oh yeah, I share your blog with my staff every week, or we do this to help people, right? I mean, the second of the three tenets on the road to awesome is we rise by lifting others. And that's why we do this. Yes, it's a freaking blast. I mean, I have, holy cow, in this first year of podcasting, the people, the intelligent people, and yes, I'll include the two of you in the intelligent people that uh, that I've been able to have conversation with. Man, it's just so powerful. I mean, it, I'm growing, you know, and, and I know my listeners are because I hear from so many of them, you know, uh, almost on a regular basis now. So it's it's just super fantastic. I'm glad you guys are having that same kind of experience and that same success. Your podcast is absolutely a blast. And folks, I'm going to tell you, it, it is linked in the show notes, but you, if you think these guys are fun on this podcast, you just got to go check them out on their own. I mean, they're kind of like reserved right now here, you know, and maybe it's, you know, I've got a little control of the two of them, but um, it's really a blast. I, I love the podcast that, that you guys have. So let me, let me throw our last question out. Um, we'll see if it's the last question, but it's always the last question I ask of everybody who's on the Leaning Into Leadership podcast. And that's just very simply this. How are you leaning into leadership and EP, I'm going to come to you first. 
You know, I was actually going to ask you, Darren, maybe this isn't appropriate, but I just wanted to ask you, what were some big surprises that you have kind of uh, experienced in the podcast doing this process? Oh, yeah, sure. Yeah, absolutely. Um, wow. You know, that's a really great question. Um, number one, the amount of work that goes into the behind the scenes. Um <laughs> You know, that like what we're doing right now, recording, this is just so much fun. Um, but then when it gets into like the, the post-production, you guys have Jamie for that, which is which is a blessing for you guys. Um, but doing the post-production stuff and, you know, editing out the, you know, somebody coughs or um, I had a, I had a guest on once whose phone rang and he said, this is my superintendent. I have to take this call. And so it just, yeah, there's like 20 minutes of time that just ran with us on mute. Um, I mean, it, it's fantastic. And, and, you know, he, he's a friend. I appreciate that. Um, but, but just some of the, some of the fun things that happen uh, as a part of just the recording process, it is amazing the amount of work on, on the backside, but, but it's totally worth it. Um, and then here's an interesting takeaway that, that maybe I'm embarrassed to share, but I spend more time looking at my analytics than I should. Um, you know, I just, <laughs> you know, I'm like, you know, okay, how many downloads today? How many downloads today? And, you know, when, when I first started, well, in a way it is. Yeah, it's, it is. It's kind of addicting. Um, you know, and I didn't know what to expect. You know, I mean, I'm launching this podcast. I just want to help. I just, you know, want to, want to share a little bit of, a little bit of stuff. And um, I, I really thought, in all seriousness, I, I love this question, EP. I, I really thought when I first started that my show was going to be mostly me in solo episodes. And I would start to have a few guests here and there. Yeah. And about episode four or five, I think Alex Carter was my first guest, a, a guy who does some fantastic work in a similar but dissimilar way, actually, to to the work with CEE with, um, uh, with what he does in Colorado. I was hooked, was hooked with these conversations with guests. And it just, I, I haven't done a solo episode in a long time. So folks, I know you're listening. Yes, eventually I'll get back to having a solo episode. But these are just so much fun. And, and I love, I love learning from, from other people. So I, I guess those are my big things. So I'll throw it right back at you guys. We'll come back to the, how you're leaning in here in a minute. Um, what, what have been some of your, what are your like big surprises, big takeaways with your podcast? No, number one for me, and I think you've you've all already said it. I'll I'll say it maybe in a slightly different way. Is when you're preparing to have a guest on, and it's a Darren Peppard or a Aaron Jones or a, uh, we had Aaron Christopher on. Uh, by the time uh, by the time uh, this drops, I think he will have dropped on on, on ours as well. Uh, Doug Kaplicki, Chuck and Suzanne, who I just revere. You know, I have this. The, the little boy in me doesn't want to let the guest down. So I spend a fair amount of time uh, on the internet, on their website. Like, you know, I want to see their right. latest and greatest. What are their central tenets? I want to, I want to come across as informed and, and doing that research so that I don't come across as the, you know, just another guy from Eastern Washington that fell off a turnip truck, which is an easy role for me to fall into has been an incredible personal professional growth opportunity for me. I feel, I feel so much better versed as an educator as a result of, getting to know our 20 guests well in the last year than I could have possibly uh, ever predicted that, you know, when you're in service to others and you're doing the right work, oftentimes I think you're, you're the unique beneficiary of nobody's grown more than me as a result of doing this podcast. And that was not my intention. It's right. just been a, 
just been a beautiful byproduct. Yeah, and I, I would echo the same thing. I, it's like, uh, you know, when we became principals, we could, as a teacher, you just saw in your room, and then principal, you could see into all of the rooms. And then we got to district office, you could see, you know, all of the rooms in the district. And now it allows us even that higher per perspective. And, and the thing that's really been uh, maybe shocking and surprising is they're all saying the same things. We all struggle with the same things, you know, politics of where you're sitting, people above and below you. And, um, and, and really, I wish that people, we could all have these conversations, Darren, like, like you have on your podcast that are helpful conversations because I know Bowles and I have grown a ton. And uh, I'm still like five, five, but I feel like I'm six, two. Like I just like it is amazing. You know, the things that I have learned um, listening to people that um, have put things in different perspectives, but they're all saying the same stinking thing. So that's been the big shocker for me. I just love that. I mean, it's it, it is it's I love that you went right at, um, you know, when, when you're a principal, all of a sudden you could see what's happening in other rooms. And, this, you know, at the district level, you could see because. You're right. I mean, we all get like stuck in our own little silos and mm -hmm. we think and man, coming out of the pandemic, I don't think more than any time mm -hmm. did we all come away thinking that I'm the only one having this struggle. Mm -hmm. I mean, I, I remember, you know, coming away at a point in time, I went to a retreat, um, I don't know, 14, 15 months ago and was surrounded by other educators from all over the place and all of these <sighs> It's not fair to call them woe is me moments because they were crappy moments. Yeah. But you feel like I'm the only one experiencing this. And then all of a sudden you discover, oh, no, that's not true. And not not that you look for shared misery or, or anything like that, but definitely finding those those moments and those those things, you know, those pain points that we all have that we're able to share. And um, I love being able to bring people onto the show to, to put their voices in my listeners' ears for them to hear, oh, hey, I'm not the only one going through this. Or, yeah. wow, that's a really unique perspective. You know, oh, so start with why do you think that is and what do you want to do about that? What what a unique spin on how do I address data? Those kinds yeah. of things. So it's it's a powerful platform. It really, truly is. Hey, and, and you know, to get back at your question, uh, leaning into leadership right now, I'm, I'm reading... Uh, yeah, I mean, hey, it's it's so much easier to stay on track when you're a guest. It's it's hard being a podcast. So That's I'm true. Like, yeah, I'm like, I am so relaxed today. I'm otherwise like, gosh, you know, if this were my podcast, I'd be on point, feverishly writing notes, keeping track of the time. It's it's nice to be on here, just unscripted, not paying any attention to that. And I uh, I hope your listeners don't feel taken advantage of, Darren. But bottom line is, I'm I'm, I'm sure they're not. Uh, <laughs> let's hope. Um, I'm reading Danny Bauer's book, Mastermind, right now. Um, EP and I are kicking off CE's next round of Masterminds actually tomorrow, uh, which will have no relevance for your podcast listeners. Um, what you know, whatever tomorrow is, um, and and I love what he says in the book around. Uh, well, there's tons of things I love in the book so far, but one of the things I love in the book is really the nexus between that mastermind and then that coaching opportunity. And, and, and where my mind is spinning at CEE, as you well know, we have really unique tools, both in the leadership and in the overall school improvement space. Imagine having a client who's using the EES survey or the L360, working through a mastermind and connecting with an executive coach. I think we can add a level of synergy to that, uh, to that notion that Danny writes so nicely about in his book. Uh, and I just can't wait to try it out. So that's what I'm leaning into right now. That's awesome. Yeah, and I 
I think that uh, if, if we could go back, to, I'm, uh, I got Danny's book. Um, I haven't got into it. I looked at a lot of his stuff, and a lot of it resonates with some of the things that we do. But I think one comment that we hear a lot, both um, coaching and in the masterminds, is how isolated people feel, right? They, they don't have anybody with whom they can share, uh, man, I'm having a struggle. Because if I share that with my soup, it's going to come up on my eval, maybe. If I share it with my peers, they're like, you're an idiot. Um, so we have these fears, right? And we, we don't, we can't communicate <laughs> right. and get help. So I think the mastermind has been this really open thing, Darren, just about what you said, you know, during the pandemic of everybody's going through the, the same things. And, and for us to um, be able to have those conversations to say, what would be helpful? You know, uh, when you take a look at uh, school improvement stuff, you know, I mean, I did some stuff with district improvement facilitators. Our books that we went through were three, four inches thick, right? And now really when we get to some of that, that social, uh, that cultural piece of trust, we're really just asking questions to say, do you know what your staff wants? I mean, do you know the landscape of your staff? What, what are their desires? What, what are their whys? And that gets rid of all that other crap and just goes back to relationship, Darren. You said it before. It yep. just goes back to relationship to say, how's your relationship with your staff? Do they trust you? And do you know what they want? And how can you bring them into the fold? You've got people that have been there for 25, 30 years that are pissed about something. And when you can sit down and say, hey, what is it you really want to do? Yeah, we can help you out with that. And they're like, seriously? You're like, yeah, absolutely. All of a sudden that thing flips and then you can start and you throw away this four inch notebook that nobody really ever could get through. And you start a relationship that just says, I care about you. I know you care about kids. Let's do this thing together where we can get better. And, and I think that's been like um, the leadership growth for me is just that lack of isolation and relationship, just that focus. You know, I'm, I'm hopeful that as we are moving forward and, you know, we're, we're, we're faced with, you know, uh, everybody calls it a crisis, you know, a teacher shortage crisis, a leadership shortage, shortage crisis, those types of things that more and more and more of our leaders will really take that step and focus on the relationships and focus on the culture of their schools. Yes, pay, pay is a problem in education. Um, yes, politics are making their way into education. But by far and away, the most powerful thing I believe that we can do in our schools to keep our teachers there, to keep our leaders there, is to build environments where trust exists, where they're treated as professionals, where you know we really value the institutional knowledge that those people who have been there for 25 years and, and so forth have on the improvement process. And you know, here's how we here's how we grow and get better. We do it as a team. We do it by by supporting each other. And if we do that, amazing things can happen. Um, EP, Bolsey, thank you so much for this time on uh, Leading Into Leadership. I love every moment of this conversation. I'm certain my listeners will too. Um, thanks so much, guys. I really appreciate you. Thanks, Darren. Great, great being here. And I, I love your messages. So hopefully people listen to what you have to say and let's change the world. Let's change the world one conversation at a time. Uh, there you go. Love it. Right on. All right. Thanks, guys. When I listen to Eric and Eric talk about data, I'm taken back to my time as both a school and district leader. And I recall often feeling overwhelmed by data. There's so much information that we get related to student performance, to overall school performance, to our staff, and so forth, that 
you can easily feel like this is insurmountable. But the way they describe it, the way they talk about it, give me a little bit of calm, and I hope it did for you as well as a school leader. The protocol that Bowles talked about, why and what, to me is a real powerful protocol. First off, it's really simple. You take a look at the data. Why does something stand out to you? What might you do about it? I think it's a great way to gain consensus. It's a great way to put people in a position where they feel like, hey, we can rally together around this because it's an idea that we came up with. I have linked CEE's website in the show notes along with a link to the study summary for characteristics of positive outlier schools. Make sure to check that out. If you want to read the entire report, that's also available on CEE's website. I've also linked the podcast Outliers in Education, make sure you check it out. EP and Bowles are absolutely phenomenal. They're so much fun to listen to. And now it's time for a pep talk. Earlier this week, it was World Mental Health Day. And as I was taking a look at some information and trying to decide what I wanted to share on that particular day, I came across some questions related to mental health. It made me think of my good friend, Mark Brown, who's an administrator in Oregon, and his book, Choose to Be You. And in that book, Mark talks about how we all have mental health. It's not that having mental health is a bad thing. It's just like having physical health, whether that's good mental health or bad mental health, good physical health or bad physical health. But when we think about our mental health, I came across these questions. It says, ask yourself this. One, how am I feeling lately? Two, has anything been added to my stress levels recently? Three, Am I taking care of my body? Four, am I taking care to have time to do things I love? And number five, who can I lean on when I need extra support? I think this is really critical and something that we all need to take a step back and think about. I talk often about getting on the balcony and taking a look and checking in on those things that are important to you. Well, those are just things that I talk about when we're leading a school or leading an organization. Take some time and actually get on the balcony and check in on how you're doing as a human being, as an individual, in your physical health, your spiritual health, your mental health, and just simply in surrounding yourself with the people that you love. Thank you for joining me this week on the Leaning Into Leadership podcast. Have a road to awesome day. Thank you for listening to the Leaning Into Leadership podcast, brought to you by Road to Awesome. Don't forget, click subscribe, give a review, and share this with somebody who might also enjoy leaning into leadership.